Hey there, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, iHeartRadio, Google Play, everywhere you get your podcasts. Stitcher, thank you so much for downloading and listening. I'm Burke Allen, live in Washington, D.C., and the show is brought to you by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com. SpeakerMatch is the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. So let's say you're a meeting planner and you're getting back together again and meetings are now starting to happen in person again. Uh, Or let's say you're a platform speaker and you've been off the circuit for a while. This is a a great marketplace for the two of you to get together. Check it out at SpeakerMatch.com. Gang, there's no question that the world has changed in a big way in the last year and a half, but that acceleration had already begun. It just uh, picked up steam in the era of COVID. What does the future really look like? Well, our guest today is going to talk to us about it. He has a brand new book that is uh, out now called Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness. He's an author, professor emeritus at George Washington University uh, here in Washington, D.C., my friend Bill Halal. Welcome to the Big Time Talker podcast. Good to be with you, Burke. So the future that we need is not necessarily the present that we have, and, and I wonder if you can weigh in on why in an era where communication is, is literally at our fingertips globally, that things are so askew. Why are, why are we where we are now? Well, I don't think most people understand the enormity of what's happening. Uh, we are going to see enormous change in the next 10 years, and it's going to transform the globe dramatically. And the best way to, to understand it, I think, is to see that we're moving from one era of social evolution to another. We, we all know we've been in a knowledge age for the last two decades. I think most people understand that. Well, that is ending right now. Um, and we're moving into the next stage, which is, by definition, consciousness, an age of consciousness. Uh, I can make that uh, clear in just a, a minute. Well, you, yeah, what do you, first of all, what do you mean when you say the uh, this information age is coming to an end. Do you mean that, that globally we're not going to be able to access as much information moving forward, or we're just sort of at the upper end, we've kind of tapped out on that? Well, uh, no, information and knowledge are still crucial, of course. There's no question about that. But uh, they're no longer the dominant forces in our society. Uh, values and beliefs uh, are now. That's, that's why you see this post-factual stuff uh, going around fake news and conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. Those are uh, uh, playing on people's fears and beliefs and wishes and that sort of thing. It's higher order consciousness. That, and that is the hallmark, the hallmark of uh, the new age, I think, an age of consciousness. And it's happening for because technology is driving us into this new age. Uh, the smartphone, for instance, has made all of the world's knowledge available to anybody at the touch of a finger. So there's no shortage of knowledge. We have all the knowledge we need. uh, And that's why we're now moving past knowledge into the next domain, which is consciousness. And AI, artificial intelligence, is automating knowledge work, which raises the profound question, what lies beyond knowledge? When we automate all of this knowledge work, which we're doing right now, what lies beyond that. What will we do? And by definition, everything beyond knowledge is consciousness. As I said, beliefs, values, uh, purpose, 
uh, vision, all of that sort of thing, the things that we live with every day. That, that's really what we are. We really live in an age of consciousness. We live in our consciousness in all of these uh, changing moods and opinions and that sort of thing. We just don't recognize it because it's like the air we breathe. It seems invisible, but that's uh, where we live our lives. And that is now becoming the dominant focus of attention worldwide with profound implications. It's, it's changing the world dramatically. And we haven't seen the, the beginning of the really big changes that are going to come, I think, in this decade. For a guy who, who is known as a futurist, and, and you are, I mean, look, you were an aerospace engineer on, on the lunar module on Apollo, and you, you taught for years and years at George Washington University. You read this book, Beyond Knowledge. For a futurist, it sounds almost as if, and you'll have to forgive me, if you're talking about old-fashioned values and morals. Oh, yeah. Well, so look back. Well, sure. Well, consciousness has been with us throughout history, of course. We, as I say, we live in, in our consciousness. What's different is that now consciousness is a powerful technology. Social media, for instance, is the most powerful force in the world today. That's what governs politics and buying behavior and, and really everything. Um, it's, it's dramatically different. And it's just one simple version of the new technologies that are shaping consciousness. And that's what we have to learn how to, to master. And right now it's out of control. For instance, the resistance to vaccinations is all a result of uh, whatever reasons these people have that is causing them to uh, forfeit the, uh, this, these wonderful uh, uh, vaccines that are almost 100% effective and they cost them nothing. They'd save their lives. And yet people have various reasons why they, they resist doing that. And, you know, the reasons may make good sense to them, but it, it's hard to justify it from a rational point of view because they're operating beyond knowledge. They're operating in, in, a, in, uh, in their consciousness. They have some kind of ideas that uh, preclude taking the vaccines. So that, that, that illustrates why this is such a powerful force today. Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness is the new book from our guest today, Bill Halal and the Big Time Talker podcast. Bill, I've got a, a great friend, actually, I'm having lunch with him tomorrow, who grew up in Afghanistan. And, and as a, a, a high school student, his family sent him away to boarding school out of the country. And he now has, has lived here in the U.S. for over 40 years. Uh, but but has a heart and a you know a love for his uh, the country that he grew up in as a young child in Afghanistan and and my friend Nasir always told me that in his uh, opinion the biggest issue that has caused this turmoil in Afghanistan for so long is the fact that there was such a low literacy rate there that so few people could read and write that it was all word of mouth once you got outside the cities and it went to these, these small tribes around the country. It's, it's whatever the tribal leader told the people. We seem to have a, an opposite problem right now where we uh, around the world have so much access to so much information, and yet things are so completely screwed up. So how can that be? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's because uh, the, the old world of rational thought uh, no longer uh, dominates. Uh, facts uh, are questioned. They're, people interpret facts based upon their personal preferences. And uh, so we have to come to grips with the fact that we're now, now not living in that era any longer. And we have to learn how to 
shape consciousness. Um, we have to learn how to counter the post-factual fake news and conspiracy theories with good information, with accurate information, with values that make sense, with truth. It's, it's a, a tough challenge. This is the major challenge of our time, I think, to shape a new awareness, a new sense of uh, the, the global order, uh, something that will get us past these enormous crises that threaten civilization like climate change and more pandemics and uh, uh, gross inequality, uh, the automation, mass automation of jobs by AI, enormous challenges that uh, seem almost impossible now. Uh, if you ask most ordinary people, do you think the present uh, state of affairs is going to get us through these, uh, these difficult years? They will say, no, they don't. So I think it's common knowledge that uh, the world is not sustainable as it's presently governed. And we need a different philosophy, a different, uh, what I call a global consciousness that's going to get us uh, into the future. You, you talked about fake news. You know, the, that term is bandied about by folks on both sides of the political aisle. Um, and primarily, you know, folks think of you when they do as a, as a futurist. But in today's world, in right now, if we're going to go beyond knowledge, I wonder if you have any thoughts on, on how to delineate between the spin that you see on, on either side uh, of the political aisle. You know, it's, it's not as it was. And, and this one would make me sound a thousand years old, so forgive me. But, you know, when, when Walter Cronkite or Dan Rather gave the news, it was the news. And, and you can no longer get your news or information in that way. It, it tends to have a spin and a lean. So, so how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? You know, that's the, the big challenge of our time, I think. Uh, we're going to have to develop ways to uh, evaluate the, the veracity of the news that we get. And we don't know how we're going to do that yet. There are a lot of ways it could be done. Um, I, I think we may see the regulation of uh, media, of social media, which I think makes sense. We regulated radio and TV for decades, and that worked fairly well. But I think we may see that for social media. If the media companies can't do it themselves, they could do it themselves if they're clever to avoid federal regulation. And Facebook, for instance, has a committee of international authorities that passes judgment on what they're doing. They prescribe changes. And that's, I think, good if they can make that work, if they can put the energy and time into it. So it really works. But right now, it doesn't look like it's working. The, uh, all of the big media companies are really out of control. Uh, they need to uh, control the information that they uh, uh, release to the public more, more, more carefully, I think. And maybe independent uh, bodies would do that, would uh, rate uh, different media sites depending on their veracity. We don't know how it's going to work out yet, but we have to find a way to do it. But the best way, really, is to develop an overarching uh, framework that we all can agree on. That's what the world needs. Something that goes beyond left and right. A, a, uh, a set of principles, a, a, what I call a global consciousness, but you could call it something else. You would call it a global ethics or a new mindset or a new paradigm. 
there are lots of ways to think about this, but that's what's badly needed. A set of principles that makes sense for the world that we're entering, which is very different than the world we've been in for the last 50 years. It's uh, really a unified world. Uh, it's been unified by the electronic um, systems that, that we all share and by markets. The markets are all global and the information systems are global and we need a way to think about how we run a, a unified world, really. One that is uh, uh, recognizes the, the fragile nature of the environment and that uh, treats the planet as though it is sacred, and uh, which it is. Uh, it, it's amazing that we, we don't uh, pay more uh, reverence to uh, planet Earth because uh, we've been looking for other planets for 50 years now. And so far we, we find there's no, no sign of civilization out there, none after looking for 50 years. And it, it's a reminder of how precious and how unique planet Earth is, how unique life is. So we should treat life on this planet as sacred. Uh, that should be the first of the principles that's needed to get us into the future. And, um, and there are others. I think we have to govern the planet as a unified whole, which means we have to collaborate with, with one another. Corporations and governments have to work together in their self-interest. They can't do this alone. And it's that kind of thinking that's needed. If we could see that happen, then I think these differences between left and right and all of the other uh, uh, variations, uh, the various things that people believe could be brought under a uh, unifying umbrella. That, that, I think, is the best hope we have. The book is Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness, available at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Bill Halal is our guest today. He, uh, he was literally an aerospace engineer, maybe not a rocket scientist, uh, and this stuff isn't rocket science that we're talking about today, but he worked on the lunar module, the Apollo, uh, served as a major in the Air Force, has written seven books now, and is a longtime uh, professor and professor now emeritus at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. He's a futurist, and we're talking about what's next in his book, Beyond Knowledge. Um, you talk about something called a crisis of global maturity in the book. What do you mean by that? Well, that's what I referred to uh, uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, we're facing crises that seem almost insurmountable. Climate change is just an enormous challenge, and we're nowhere near resolving that. Uh, even if everything were done properly right now, the planet is going to get hotter for the next few decades because it's such a, the planet is so huge that it has this momentum. It takes, it's like an ocean liner. It's hard to turn it around. So things are going to get worse. As bad as it is now, it's going to get worse uh, over the next decade or two. And so it's, it's an existential challenge and not, not enough is being done. The, the, most, the most effective thing that could be done is to bite the bullet and put a tax on carbon globally. That all economists agree that that's the best solution. It would allow corporations to uh, find the, the best ways they can to uh, minimize the cost of that tax by uh, using clean energy and whatever. And it would eliminate the need for these uh, government controls. So you could uh, diminish the role of government. It, 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 it's really the single best thing we could do. And then there's the pandemic problem. We're gonna see more pandemics 
because the conditions that have caused the pandemic have, are still here. Global air travel has unified the world. As I said, it, you, you can't ignore that. The world is unified with all these people traveling from one country to another. And we're encroaching on the habitat of all of these species. So we're more intimately connected with bats and all these other creatures. So we're gonna see more pandemics. We need a better way to take care of that. Uh, mass uh, automation of jobs is, around, is coming. Uh, most people agree that maybe half of jobs could be eliminated, and that requires a transformation of uh, the way the way we work. So all of these things, and there's more. Uh, inequality is is unsustainable. It's the wonder we don't have uh, revolts from the, uh, the lower classes in, in modern societies. People who live hand to mouth, uh, like it, it's just, and that has made been made clear during the pandemic how vulnerable we are because so many of the population, so such a large part of the population has no health care and they can't survive uh, without uh, uh, their, their weekly paycheck. So these problems are just huge and they pose what I call a crisis of global maturity. They, they tell us that the present global order is not sustainable. We're not gonna get there under the present conditions. And so we need to change the mindset now, I know that's that's a, a tall order, but really, let me just explain how I think that's likely to happen. Uh, I talk about this as part of social evolution. I've done uh, an unusually good job, I think, of mapping out social evolution. I call it a the life cycle of evolution on this planet. And it's very precise. Uh, life on this planet has gone through uh, about seven stages. Uh, agrarian societies, farming, and then industry, and then uh, post-industrial uh, work, which is services, and then knowledge. Well, as I've said before, logically, everything beyond knowledge is consciousness. So we, there was, those are five stages that we have progressively moved through in a very precise manner, and it accelerates. It took thousands of years to develop uh, agrarian uh, uh, industrial society. It took just about 10,000 years from the time we, uh, we farmed uh, to the time we developed industrial society. The post-industrial society uh, occurred in about 200 years. The knowledge age uh, occurred in about 50 years after that. And the uh, age of consciousness is uh, happening right now, 20 years after the knowledge age. So this is accelerating dramatically. And each stage of social evolution has been uh, forced upon us really by a revolution, a, a, a technological revolution, the agrarian revolution, the industrial revolution, the post-industrial revolution, and then the information or digital revolution. And so I think we're, we're heading towards what I call a mental spiritual revolution in this decade. I, I think it could happen any year now because people understand the present global order is not sustainable and they're looking around for new ideas. They know that we need a new framework for thinking. So I, I think it's imminent. It's going to happen and it's going to surprise us to see a, a shift in thinking on a global scale. Bill Halal, our guest today, the book is Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness. And you put your professor hat on there uh, for a little bit. Let me put you in the real world for a minute. If uh, if we put a carbon tax 
uh, on uh, you know emissions worldwide, and every uh, extraction company on the planet has to close down. There's no more mines. There's no more fracking. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people in this country alone get thrown out of work. What do they do? How do they eat? No, I don't think that's that would be the result. Uh, the companies that uh, would pass would uh, would have to increase prices, of course, and, and that would put a, a burden on on their customers. But that would be compensated by the special feature of a good carbon tax, um, which is to uh, to return that money back to the public. the The revenue from a carbon tax ideally would be returned to the public. Uh, some people think of it as a carbon dividend that would be paid to citizens, and that would compensate for the increase in, in prices. So it, it wouldn't hurt the public. Uh, companies would have to make big adjustments. They'd have to stop, stop using carbon. That's true, and that's what you want. You want to create an incentive for companies to do the right thing, and that would provide the incentive. So the market would work it out, uh, I think, pretty nicely. And you'd phase it in over a few a period of years so that people would adjust and make plans for it. Uh, it's been studied by uh, uh, many people, and it, really, it's right the right wing of this of this country has led the idea. George Schultz, who was uh, in several of our administrations and is a revered, uh, he died recently, but he was one of the people who uh, led the development of this idea, and it's it's. I think economists all on, I agree. They all think this is the best thing we could do. It would be hard, no question about it, but it would be the best thing we could do. It would uh, uh, allow the market forces to uh, solve the climate problem. Even if we do that in this country, though, Bill, if, if even if, if, you know, let's say every coal mine eventually shut down, you know, how realistic is it to think that uh, China would follow suit and, and they're the biggest polluter on the planet. You know, what, what is it, how is it that, that you foresee as a futurist getting those guys to play ball? Well, I think that's, it, it has to be globally uh, done, of course, or ideally it would be a global agreement. And I think there's some uh, basis for that. The Paris Accord has almost every country on the planet working together now on this. So it's, it's not, a, uh, it's hard, not hard to imagine that they might uh, agree to do this. And even if, if they didn't, uh, the United States uh, and the Western countries should take the lead and show by example. And then they could, uh, and that's, this is also being considered, put a tax on the, the goods from countries that do not do this, uh, put a tax on their imports so that they are motivated to do this as well. So there are ways to do this. There's no, there's no doubt that we could do it. It just takes political will and understanding. It, 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 we need um, a creative politicians who, who understand this and who get out there and make the case and change opinion. It, it goes back to consciousness. We have to shift consciousness. We have to shift global consciousness. And that's going to take leadership. It's going to take leadership on the part of influential people in the media politicians, corporate leaders, everybody to uh, seriously think about uh, what, we're, what has to be done to change the mentality of, of people on the planet. That's why it's an age of consciousness. That's the real challenge. Part of consciousness is the awareness that, um, that you are responsible if you want to have a successful life. That's what teenagers struggle with. 
when a teenager finally becomes an adult, that's what they go through, a crisis of maturity. After uh, messing around with their lives and, and getting into a lot of trouble, at some point, the, the stress becomes so severe that they, sh they shape up. They realize that they have no choice other than to uh, grow up, become an adult, assume responsibility for their behavior, and start taking deliberate action to uh, to uh, lead a, a satisfying life. That's what we have to do as a planet. It's just like teenagers going through a crisis of maturity. I love that analogy. So what we need to do is adult up planet Earth. Bill Halal is our guest today. His book is Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness. It's available at Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Ask for it. Uh, Bill is a professor emeritus at George Washington. He's a futurist. And and I, I would love it if you would put your futurist hat on for us a little bit and, and look into that crystal ball uh, to a certain extent and, and tell us what you see coming in the next 10 to 20 years. One of the things you mentioned was the enormous job losses that are, are already happening and are going to continue to happen because of AI, artificial intelligence. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, that's a really interesting, I think. Uh, there are a number of studies that suggest about half of jobs would be eliminated. Uh, those are the routine jobs that really are not good jobs anyways. Um, the social uh, service jobs and professional jobs, I think, would remain. They, they would change, though. Uh, the artificial intelligence systems would eliminate the drudgery aspects of that work so that those jobs, teachers, lawyers, physicians, they, they would still be there, I think. They would operate at a higher level, though. They would use the... Uh, artificial intelligence systems to take care of the grunt work and they would be able to address the tougher aspects of their jobs that they don't have time to deal with now. Like a physician would spend more time uh, with his patients because the uh, automatic diagnostic systems would, would help with diagnosis and that sort of thing. So I think the jobs of professionals would improve. They would be able to do more difficult, challenging work. Uh, and in general, I think what we're going to see is that as the routine jobs disappear, we're going to be moving into a new frontier of what I call creative work. And I think there's agreement about this. Uh, the work of entrepreneurs, of leaders, of politicians, uh, of the professionals, teachers, lawyers, physicians, um, all of those jobs uh, are going to become far more creative, more difficult in order to deal with the complexity of this crisis of global maturity, there's no lack of work that's needed to be done with this crisis of global maturity. It's just uh, a question of moving from what we do now to addressing that stuff. So there's, there's no lack of, uh, of, of tasks and work that has to be done. And it's going to require a higher level of creativity and uh, interpersonal coordination, working together, around the planet. So I think uh, we don't have to uh, despair over this. It doesn't have to be a calamity where we have mass unemployment. If we handle this properly, it can be a boon. It can uh, relieve uh, people from the boring drudgery that we do now, like your GPS navigation system. It's just an amazing thing what that invention has done. You no longer need maps. You no longer need to figure out uh, exactly how are you going to get to another destination. It's just a wonderful device. It, it's, this has 
taken away relieved us of the burden of figuring out how to get from point A to point B. And it does it beautifully. Something like that is going to happen for all of these routine aspects of knowledge work that we do now. They're all going to be automated by AI systems. And we're going to move beyond that into the domain of consciousness, where the work we do is more creative, more challenging, more difficult, and more interpersonal. And I, I think it'll be more satisfying. I think it's a better world. No question about it. Look, the world changes. You know, if you're in the uh, buggy whip business or the typewriter business, then you're, you're in uh, a world of hurt. What industries or what jobs uh, are in a world of hurt? What's going away in the next 20 years? Uh, if you're a truck driver, do you need to be worried? If you're yeah, a- yeah, absolutely. I think self-driving vehicles are just around the corner. There's no question in my mind that's going to happen. Uh, two or three million uh, truck drivers in this country are going to have to look for different jobs. Um, a few may stay on as uh, as kind of overseers of the truck, you know, just ride along in a truck and supervise the automated system, the way firemen did in, uh, in electronic locomotives. You know, I worked for the, the Pennsylvania uh, Railroad when I, was, when I was going through college. I was a brakeman. And I, I used to ride on trains. And I remember the, the fireman was always there. It was a relic from the past when a fireman used to shovel coal into the boiler. Well, you know, there's no need for a fireman on modern cars, but they, they, he was there just overseeing the, uh, uh, the electric engines. So that may be the future role for truck drivers. I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think it's unlikely. I think we can probably have fully automated vehicles. Uh, what about the, agriculture workers? Yeah, I think we're going to uh, automate a lot more agricultural work. Uh, uh, picking crops, all of that is going to be automated. Uh, killing weeds. Uh, there's, there's robots that are being used now to do that. Anything that's routine, anything that doesn't require much, in, much intelligence, that's a, a well-structured job, that's all going to disappear, I think. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We, if we can, if we make the the adjustments to move into the new industries, the new jobs that lie ahead of us, then it, it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, we we should really welcome that. It's an opportunity to get rid of the boring, low paid work. The book is beyond knowledge, and you have an interesting take on on marijuana, which is always a, a hot button issue, no matter how you slice it. What what happens in the future with marijuana? Well, that's just uh, one part of what I see as a broader trend in which people are gaining control of their consciousness. Uh, uh, the other things that are happening there are uh, the use of uh, various forms of, forms of meditation, mindfulness, prayer, uh, yoga, all of that sort of thing. That, that There's a boon in that because people increasingly want to be healthy, uh, fit, and in control of their lives, the control, control, control of their minds, especially in a world that is so complex and full of challenges. They need clarity of vision. They need ways to relieve stress. And so there's a boom in uh, various ways to get control of your body and your mind and find the resources you need to cope in a complex world. Uh, all, nature is also another uh, huge source of, of uh, benefits in that regard. We're, we're now learning that 
the absence of nature causes terrible uh, uh, debilitating problems. It's called, uh, there, there are names for it, a nature deficit disorder. Because you, we need nature. We need to exist in nature to feel good. Uh, not only from a uh, psychological point of view, but physically. Because w- when we're in nature, we're absorbing all of the the molecules that the plants give off, all of the the nutrients that fly through the air. So we are a part of nature. And when we isolate ourselves from nature, we suffer for it. So there's increasing need for people to live in natural natural surroundings. Like I like the the new building that Apple built a year or two ago. It's on 170 acres of land surrounded by every possible form of tree imaginable. It's a, a veritable oasis. It's just beautiful. I think we're going to see more of that, bringing nature into workplaces and into our homes. And then the, uh, the other major trend is the one you pointed out about using psychotropic drugs. This is a big trend. Uh, it's not just marijuana. It's uh, uh, There are a variety of drugs that I really don't know that much about, but things like uh, ecstasy, um, magic mushrooms, and so on. And people are experimenting with that. And it's being considered now legitimate therapy for uh, uh, psychic disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety. I think they're going to, these are going to emerge as legitimate ways of dealing with some of the, uh, uh, the stresses and, uh, and psychic disorders that uh, plague us. Uh, a huge portion of our population suffers from psychic disorders, like these athletes recently who have uh, uh, bowed out of games because they can't take the stress. Right. They, they have made it clear that this is a, a realistic, everyday part of life, that a mental health is tough. You have to work hard to maintain mental health. And all of these are ways that people are finding to maintain their mental health, to keep uh, uh, their intelligence sharp, to be aware of their surroundings and who they are and what they want in life. I think you're going to see a real boom in that kind of uh, personal spirituality. It, in fact, it's replacing religion. Religion is uh, is uh, fading uh, because the the dogma of religion is no longer very useful for most people. I'm a Catholic, and all of my Catholic friends uh, don't they don't agree with the church's position on almost all major issues like abortion, birth control celibacy for priests, uh, priests getting married. Um, The the dogma is no longer uh, considered valid by most people, but people are interested in spirituality, which is the essence of religiosity. And there's a growth in spirituality. That's what all of these, these methods that I've been talking about share in common. These are forms of uh, uh, ways to enhance our spiritual understanding. I, I think of them as technologies of consciousness. That's a term I've coined. I think it's a very uh, useful term. Th- these are methods we use to shape our consciousness, to keep our consciousness where we want it to be so that we can function and feel good. And we, we have innumerable ways that we do this throughout our lives every day. Uh, like t- drinking your coffee in the morning is a way to shape your consciousness. It picks you up, it wakes you up. Taking a shower is a technology of consciousness. Sex is a technology of consciousness. It changes how you feel about your loved one. 
And so we have all of these methods that we have traditionally used to shape consciousness, and now they have to um, become more explicit and uh, more active. We have to develop a inventory of the technologies of consciousness that we use that rely on to keep ourselves emotionally fit, uh, I would say. So I think this is a, a huge frontier. I love that you're positive about the future. You know, every book, it seems, every movie you see is a dark dystopian future. You you see things uh, in a glass half full, if we can get it together here. I wonder what, if you look uh, 50 years, 100 years in the future, what's the one thing that would surprise people that you see coming, your biggest surprise? Well, uh, the uh, the uh, real conclusion of, of the book and of, of this period of... of of trial, of ordeal, I think is the triumph of the human spirit. Uh, that's the real positive thing here. Uh, the world is struggling through a very difficult period. Everybody knows it's it's um, big changes ahead. They don't know what to expect. There are all these challenges, this crisis of maturity. When, uh, when all is said and done in 10 or 20 years, I think we're gonna see that the human spirit which is the essence of consciousness as triumph, that we will, we will find our way through this and uh, we will create a, a unified world that works, that is sustainable uh, ecologically. Uh, we will eliminate most routine jobs. We'll be operating at a more sophisticated level and uh, we will see that we have accomplished something great as a civilization. We've created a unified planet that works pretty well. And it'll be a great triumph of human spirit and human resolve. And that, I think, is something we should keep in mind to help get us through these difficult uh, years uh, that lie ahead. But I think this is not, this is not something that we have to wait for, uh, for it to happen in 20 years. It's, it's happening right now. Uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the mental spiritual revolution that I think is needed could happen any any year now. It could happen. I think it's likely to happen this decade, as a matter of fact, sometime in this decade, because the problems are so severe and people around the world know that we need a different mentality. They know that, I think. They're, they're searching for a new mindset, and I think it'll coalesce uh, possibly in this decade. Well, I think there's a lot of agreement. The status quo is not sustainable, and maybe we start very simply, with the golden rule. And uh, Bill Halal, thank you for spending time with us today. I think it's a fascinating subject. Best to look with the, uh, the book Beyond Knowledge. Thank you, Burke. Check out Bill Halal's book Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness. Fascinating concept, an easy read, and a uh, positive look at the future. Bill Halal was our guest. Thank you for listening. Thank you, speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau, for sponsoring the Big Time Talker podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your friends to subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio Network, Stitcher, and more. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye, everybody. <laughs>